Out of nowhere, Geno Smith played like a top 10 quarterback in his first year as a starter for the Seahawks in 2022. But does he belong in the top hierarchy at the quarterback position with a new contract in hand? Rob Rang and I are going to be discussing and debating on our Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Today's going to be a quarterback-centric episode. We're going to kick off our training camp primers. We now know the dates for all the open training camp practices. We'll have some time to talk about that in future episodes, but we're going to be there before we know it. And so we're going to start diving into training camp with Seattle's quarterback position, and we're going to continue our 90-man countdown moving into numbers 65 through 61. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. After beating out Drew Locke to win the starting quarterback job and replace Russell Wilson, Geno Smith turned in a historic breakout season last year. 30 touchdown passes, fourth most in the NFL, led the league with almost a 70% completion percentage, first Pro Bowl, comeback player of the year, leads the Seahawks to an improbable playoff berth. It was a magical season. Now with a new three-year contract in hand, though, Rob, there's going to be plenty of questions about whether or not Geno Smith is going to be able to come close or surpass those numbers that he had now that he's got this new contract in hand. And that begs the question, after this one dominant season as a top five quarterback in a number of different categories, does he belong in that top quarterback hierarchy? This is a quarterback-driven league. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks in the NFL. Does he belong in the top 10 just based off how he played last year? Well, last year, yeah, I think he's in the top three based on last year. But if I was going to look at their how the quarterbacks that we're talking about, in, in as you said, in this quarterback-driven league and how they stack up for their careers, then no, I cannot realistically put Geno Smith in the top 10, at least not in my opinion. I think that if you're going to look at the top 10 list and, and the one I compiled here is my own opinion, obviously, I think that we'll have to spend a lot of time at the very, very top of this list. I think that you know, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, I think at least those three, you can kind of put them in whatever order you want. I think that's the way that most fans, most analysts would, would view this. Um, if, if you wanted to debate a little bit more, I think that you could start having that conversation between maybe the quarterbacks ranked between number five and number 15. Those of you who are watching on YouTube right now can see for yourself that Geno Smith is not on my top 10 list. If I was to extend this list a little bit longer, I'll I'll just give you the next three guys. I do have Geno Smith at number 11. I have Trevor Lawrence, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I think he's going to have a, a, a nice breakout season this upcoming year. He's certainly a talented player. I have him number 12. I have Russell Wilson at number 13. There's a lot of really good quarterbacks, Corbin, that didn't make my list. But if you look at the top 10 in terms of what they have done to this point, I just can't take off 
playoff player quarterbacks who have got themselves into the Pro Bowl consistently more than one time. Uh, team or quarterbacks who have got their teams to the playoffs more than one time. I, I can't take out players like a, an Aaron Rodgers, a Derek Carr, or Kirk Cousins, the, the last three on my list. And, and I'll mention one last thing before I kind of switch it over to you, sir, is, is that to me, one of the most exciting things about this conversation when it comes to the Seahawks and Geno Smith, uh, who I do think is on is should really be able to hit the ground running this season considering all the talent that the Seahawks have coming back considering that the offensive coordinator is the same there's a lot of things in place here for Geno Smith to absolutely prove himself to to be a top 10 quarterback to again as I said I think that he was top three quarterback last year I just want to see him do it again I think there's a lot of reasons to suggest that he can do. And one of the things I'm most excited about is when you look at the top three, at least on my board, top four on, on my board, they're all in the AFC. So more important question in my mind, it's not only about Geno Smith, it's about the Seahawks winning football games. I, I was looking at Seattle's schedule. Seattle has 17 games, of course, scheduled for next year. I think that Geno Smith is clearly the better quarterback in 12 of those games. And so that to me is the most exciting thing is I do think that it sets up well, regardless of where I have Geno Smith ranked here in June, I think there's a chance that Geno Smith is re feeling really good about his ranking, maybe in December, January of next year. The 12s are going to be coming with pitchforks for Rob Rang with that ranking list. We have some similarities. And, and real quick, the top three, I think Patrick Mahomes right now is just at a different level from everybody else. He's playing a different game than the rest of the league. And that's how Peyton Manning was in his prime, Tom Brady in his prime that was like forever. <laughs> and, you know, Aaron Rodgers in his prime, there were times where it felt like he's just playing a different game than everybody else. That's the level that Patrick Mahomes is at. And I think the two guys behind him, it really boils down to preference. Joe Burrow, ice in his veins, Joe Cool. He's been really good in playoff games. He's right there behind Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen has had some wins in the playoffs, but he's slipped up a few more times than what Joe Burrow has. And it really, again, it comes down to preference. Burrow is more of the traditional pocket passer, going to tear you apart from the pocket as a passer. And Josh Allen can do that, but he also has the mobility and the, uh, the ability to break tackles and runs like Cam Newton did in his prime. So two different types of quarterbacks. Where our list starts to differ is at number four. I've got Jalen Hurts much higher than what you do, a couple spots higher than you do, because I look at what he did last year and the weapons he's got. We had the Eagles in our top five, both of us, for receivers. They've got good tight ends, too. they got a good running game. They have arguably the best offensive line in the league. And I just feel like Jalen Hurts is barely scratching the surface of his potential as a dual-threat quarterback. And Trevor Lawrence is maybe the biggest difference we've got. I've got him in my top five. You put Calvin Ridley out there now catching passes from him. That offense already was taken off end of last year. And you don't have Urban Meyer coaching anymore. That automatically boosts you about 15 spots if you're Trevor Lawrence. So I have him at number five. You and I both have Justin Herbert pretty high, which I did not love him the way that you did coming out of the draft. But I'm giving him his respect now. I think that he is one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. And you got to keep Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson on this list. I've got Geno Smith at number nine. And I've got Dak Prescott much lower than you. To me, it boils down to the playoff performances. I just have not been impressed with what Dak Prescott has done in the postseason, and I need to see more from him. But I've got him just slightly ahead of Kirk Cousins. Um, I've got 
Tua Tagovailoa is also in the mix there if he can avoid the concussions. He had a big season last year. There are some other quarterbacks. Derek Carr in New Orleans is going to have a solid supporting cast. So those guys you could all make arguments for. Jared Goff is another player that I actually was looking at too with what he's doing in Detroit and the weapons they're putting around him, the offensive coordinator that he has. They have really been able to bring out the best in him. But I've got Geno at number nine. I have him in my top 10, and I know he's only got one great season to work off of. But my list maybe has a bit more projection to it. I just love the weapons that he's got. As we've talked about, I love the offense he's in. I love the confidence he's playing with. I just feel like this is not one of those house money situations at this point where Geno had one great year and it's just going to fade. Maybe he doesn't quite reach some of the numbers he had last year, but even if he throws 26, 27 touchdowns and his completion percentage is 67%, that's still really good numbers that are top 10 worthy, even in today's NFL. So I've got him checking in at number nine. I think he is squarely one of the 10 best quarterbacks going into this season. And you could make a strong argument away from Jalen Hurts. And maybe if you've got Dak Prescott or Kirk Cousins, somebody like that ahead of him. I mean, I think Geno is one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the NFC now with the defection of talent that's gone to the AFC. So I've got him higher than you. There's a few changes at the bottom there. But for the most part, we've got similar lists in terms of the players on there. Some differences in opinion after number four. But that makes this fun. I've got Gino on my list. You had some good reasons why you didn't include him. And again, there's subjectivity to these rankings, but Gino is going to be looking to prove doubters that don't have him in the top 10 that, hey, I am a top 10 quarterback, and I'm going to prove it to you again for a second straight season, and I'm going to get the Seahawks deeper into the playoffs. That's what 12s are going to be hoping for. Speaking of the quarterback position, Gino this year is the undisputed starter, but you've got Drew Locke coming back and an exciting undrafted free agent added to the fold. We're going to start our training camp primer series coming up next at the quarterback position, taking a look at an essential question, the depth chart, and of course, the wild card to watch heading into the 2023 season. Don't go away. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks that is brought your way by FanDuel. Sprint over to FanDuel as the NFL season quickly approaches because right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from season awards to week one props to the exact regular season win totals for every NFL team. Even with training camp still more than a month away, I'm excited to dig into season props such as NFL MVP, maybe Geno Smith's ceiling there, rookie of the year, and much more. Regardless of what prop you choose, you'll get paid instantly if you win. There's no better place to bet on all the upcoming football action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s if you're listening across the border in British Columbia or over on the other side of the country in Maine. We greatly appreciate you making Locked on Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week for every day is coming up on our Thursday episode. Tomorrow, we're going to continue our 90 player countdown moving into the 50s, almost to the halfway point in our countdown. And we'll also be going over to the defensive side of the football with defensive tackles for our training camp primer. Should be a really fun episode. You won't want to miss it. Let's talk more about the quarterbacks, shall we, Rob? And you and I were talking about this before the show. You know, there's going to be some position groups that the Seahawks have where there's going to be 
a lot more than just one essential question that needs to be answered going into the season. But it really does feel like at quarterback, and we kind of already put ourselves in a position to have this discussion with what we looked at with that top 10 list at quarterback in the first segment. But the essential question has got to be, can Geno Smith match or even exceed the numbers that he put up last season? Because that really is ultimately going to be one of the big deciding factors on just how far this football team is able to go in 2023. That's the biggest factor, Corbin. And then that's the thing is like, can you do it again? I mean, there was zero level of expectation for Geno Smith a year ago. And hey, it just made his season a year ago that much more memorable, that much more historic, that much more worthy of praise. I mean, hey, I, I've said many, many times before, count me among the biggest critics turned believers of Geno Smith. He was absolutely spectacular just a couple of moments ago in tonight's conversation. I said that I thought he was among the two or three best quarterbacks last year of everybody. And we all know that Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, Josh Allen are just playing at a whole different level. I think that Geno Smith played at that level a year ago. I mean, the, the numbers prove that to be true. At the same time, again, can you do it now that there are all these expectations? I really think that he can. I really think that this sets up very nicely for him. I think that the Seahawks have improved in virtually every single way in which that they could to help Geno Smith. I mean, just considering the fact that you have the two offensive tackles now who are in their second years rather than the rookie rookie years. I, I do think that Seattle, whether it be Evan Brown at center or Olo Timmy, the rookie, that they should be a little bit better at the center position. Certainly a wide receiver with Jackson Smith and Jake, but high expectations for D. Eskridge, tight ends, running backs. Everything is on the upswing. And as I mentioned for a moment a second ago, about Shane Waldron, obviously now in his uh, you know third year as the offensive coordinator, and really felt like he was kind of hitting the ground running a year ago. Significant improvement from his first to second year, and just in terms of play calling, uh, it, all those things to me suggest that Geno Smith really should be able to put up very similar numbers as a year ago, and and perhaps even build upon them. So yeah, to me the the essential question here, if we're going to phrase it that way, is that I do believe that Geno Smith can have you know continue the in incredible success that he had a year ago, and the Seahawks really should be not only a a real candidate to win the NFC West division, but at, at minimum be a strong strong wildcard contender. For those that doubt whether or not Geno Smith belongs in the discussions of the top 10 quarterback, you had him at number 11 on your list, so it's not like he wasn't in the conversation. You didn't have him ranked like 18th. He was right there, one spot away. But if you're somebody that is still skeptical after the way last season played out, I can understand some of the decision-making things in the second half. There were some forced throws that we didn't see from Geno Smith the first nine or ten games. I don't put all of that on him, though. The offensive line, particularly in the interior, that center position, did not play well. Austin Blythe struggled the last six or seven games, and there was a lot of direct pressure on Geno. And then you had some guys that were banged up. Tyler Lockett missed a game, which he rarely ever misses a game due to injury. And they had some issues with their run game not coming together, in part because of the offensive line struggling in the second half. I felt like there were a lot of factors that were working against him, and, and the defense played poorly a lot of the time, too, especially defending the run. He was trying to shoulder the load, and you could see that it was wearing on him a little bit. But for those of you that are doubting whether he belongs in that top 10 discussion, I've got several reasons why I think he absolutely 
deserves to be there just based on what the Seahawks have done building around him. There is not a quarterback. I mean, maybe you can make an argument, Rob, for somebody else, but I don't think that there is a quarterback that is with the same team this year that started last year. I don't think there's a QB that has had a supporting cast around him that got better than what the Seahawks did around Geno Smith. Because you got a guy that could be a number one receiver down the line in Jackson Smith and Jigba, and he's your number three guy on this offense. You added another running back that could be a thousand yard caliber player. Zach Charbonnet's that kind of a talent, and him and Ken Walker the third going at it as a combo is really going to be a problem. You upgraded at center regardless of who wins that starting job. And I think even right guard potentially could be better because Gabe Jackson really struggled last year dealing with that chronic knee. Their tight end group, they got all three of those guys coming back. I just feel like the foundation around him has been improved as much as anybody. This was already a really good offense. And oh, by the way, Rob, this is going to be the first time in Geno Smith's career that he's been a starter two years in a row with the same play caller. I think that is a huge deal, especially when Geno has now been with Shane Waldron all three seasons he's been in Seattle. These two are going to be able to read each other's minds at this point. And I think that that is scary for opposing defenses. So, yeah, you got to clean up the decision making, maybe take a few less sacks, get rid of the football. But I feel like those things are instantly going to be better just with the improved supporting cast and further chemistry with Shane Waldron, who's going to make his own strides in his third year as a play caller. So, that essential question, we'll see if it gets answered, but I think emphatically that there's a very good chance. Maybe the numbers don't reflect it, but I think Geno's got a great chance with the supporting cast, as long as everybody can stay healthy or most of this offense can stay healthy, to really approach those numbers or surpass them and make himself a lot of money in the meantime. As for the rest of the depth chart, Rob, Drew Locke is coming back, and Drew Locke was who you picked to win the starting job last year. The Seahawks still hold him in high regard. There's a reason they brought him back on a $4 million deal as their backup because they still believe in him. If Geno goes down, heaven forbid, you hope that doesn't happen. But if Geno goes down, they have confidence that Drew Locke can have that kind of career resurrection that Geno had. And there's clearly a lot of talent there. And oh, by the way, they got an undrafted rookie. They haven't been able to bring draft picks or rookies in really to develop at the quarterback position. But Holton Ayler, there are some qualities there, particularly the numbers he's put up at every level he's played at, that certainly create intrigue we have not seen from an incoming rookie quarterback here really since maybe Trayvon Boykin. Probably even better than Trayvon Boykin. I mean, consider the leadership and everything that Holton Ayler's demonstrated. Not only his uh, college yeah. career, Eastern Carolina, uh, East Carolina, excuse me, um, his high school career as well. You know, to me, uh, I, I do want to kind of continue that Geno Smith conversation just for a moment, Corbin, because I, I'm excited to talk about Holton Ayler's. But the one thing that is a part of the essential question for me with Geno Smith is really going to come down to ball security. You kind of mentioned that, you know, making some some poor decisions down the stretch, the offensive line kind of breaking down. You know, when you when you look at what Geno Smith was able to do a year ago, um, you know, basically the three to one touchdown to interception ratio, which is among the best in all of the NFL, it, it is a little bit solid when you throw in the eight fumbles a, a year ago. Four of those fumbles were lost. Now, eight fumbles was sixth most 
among quarterbacks. And, and so, again, that is the one thing that I would definitely want to make sure that I mention here is that it, that is an area that Geno Smith does need to improve upon. It was one of the areas of concern I had about him coming out of West Virginia and his brief play in the NFL as well is that he had some moments where he just kind of lost that kind of, uh, you know, awareness of the opponents around him. And, and sometimes the, the ball just happened to squirt free. Uh, if you were to go back to, you know, you asked the question a moment ago about, you know, some of the quarterbacks who maybe are staying where they were and had a team built around them. I would argue actually a quarterback that was on your list. It's not on mine. Trevor Lawrence, as you mentioned, you know, had some talent around him. I expect him to have a big year. Another quarterback on my list, Justin Herbert, I really think that the play caller, Kellen Moore, that's coming there, the first round selection of Quentin Johnston, my top rated wide receiver in this draft class. I really think that the Chargers are another team. Justin Herbert's another player that is going to have a, a big step moving forward as well. But again, kind of coming back to the Seahawks, I do think that Drew Locke is a talented quarterback. As, as you mentioned, I thought that Drew Locke was going to win that drop. I do believe he is a starting quarterback starting caliber quarterback in the NFL. And so I think that the Seahawks are, you know, feeling really, really good about themselves if they've got a Pro Bowl caliber as a starter in Geno Smith. And I do not want to fall into that, the mistake of anyone thinking that I am suggesting that Drew Locke should be in contention for the starting job. This is Geno Smith's job. This is Geno Smith's team. This, this, the team is going to go as far as Geno Smith can lead them. That said, he only has done it for the one year. I do believe that Drew Locke is a starting caliber quarterback. If, if heaven forbid, as you said, something were to happen to Geno Smith, I do think that Drew Locke could keep the Seahawks competitive. And then with, with Holt Nailers, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes here, I think the Seahawks really do, as you said, have, have somebody to be excited about. This is a good young quarterback with a lot of the intangibles, a lot of the athleticism needed to be successful in the NFL. And he really is the wild card. And and somewhat by default, because we know what Drew Locke is to an extent, even though we didn't get to see him plenty snaps last year in this offense away from the preseason. We know what he is. We now think we know what Geno Smith can be. Holton Aylers is that unknown coming in. And I think prior to this year, we'd maybe briefly talk about what he did at East Carolina, and then we would just move on. But the three quarterback rule that just came into play in the NFL, where you can have a third quarterback available on game day that doesn't count against your 46 active players. I think that that is something the Seahawks are going to look very closely into on game days because all it takes is Geno Smith and Drew Locke getting blasted by the 49ers defensive line. And yeah, that would be a really bad situation if Holton Aylers is coming into the game for you, but it's better that than having to put say DK Metcalf at quarterback, no offense to DK, but you don't have anybody else in your roster that you would entrust to run your offense. So having that third quarterback available as an emergency player that knows the offense has played the position. I think the Seahawks are going to look very closely into that. So that's really the wild card to watch here is Holton Naylor is going to have a chance to be on the 53 man roster because of that rule in the past. The Seahawks have been notorious about only holding two quarterbacks that could change though, because of this rule, especially if Aylers has a really strong pre-season you're listening to the wednesday edition of locked on seahawks i'm your host corbin smith glad as always to be joined by my coast and crime rob rang and a special thanks to all the 12s we greatly appreciate you making locked on seahawks your first listen five days a week for our everydayers out there tomorrow we're going to continue our training camp primers with the defensive tackle group and we'll continue our 90-man countdown moving into the 50 is going to be a jam-packed episode that you won't want to miss 
Speaking of that 90-man countdown, we are now to numbers 65 through 61. And I'm going to give you the mic because the player we're going to be talking about here first, I think listeners probably are like, this guy talks about this player constantly. I'm going to let you have the opportunity to talk about Jonah Tavai, who was one of the top five most productive defensive linemen in all of college football the last two years. And oh, by the way, Robbie's only 22 years old because he started playing high school football when he was 13. We're talking varsity football. He was playing varsity football when he was 13. I'll give you the mic now. He's a, he's a really good football player. I, I can I can understand why you're excited about him. I mean, Corbin, he has been such an incredibly productive player, especially the last two seasons for San Diego State. Now, I, I got to say, I think the San Diego State is one of the absolute best teams uh, and best run programs, you know, really across the country. I mean, their ability to produce an NFL caliber player in every position speaks for itself. But what Savai has done the last couple of years is 14 tackles for loss as a junior, 14 tackles for loss as a senior, eight and a half sacks as a junior, 10 and a half sacks this past season. I, I don't care what his height is. I just know that production speaks for itself. I think you're going to talk about his quickness, so I'll talk about his power just for a moment. He is a kind of a sawed-off guy, and it gives him a leverage advantage, and there are just so many NFL-caliber blockers that I have watched on tape that Tavai is able to just kind of push and discard on his way to the quarterback. That is obviously a trait that translates to the NFL. So, yeah, I, I'm very excited about Jonah Tavai. I know you are as well. Yeah, I've talked so much about the hand quickness. That's the thing that always jumps out to me. And he has played against NFL caliber offensive linemen. The Mountain West has had some pretty good guys come out of that conference that are now playing for NFL teams. But he's also played against Pac-12 offensive linemen. And it hasn't mattered who's been across from. He's dominant. I couldn't believe that he didn't get a senior bowl invite. He's a player that I would have loved to ask Jim Nagy about specifically. Like, why is that guy not at Mobile? Because he was one of the most disruptive players at any position in college football. And he's smaller for a defensive tackle at the same time, though. He's 5'10", 283, short and squatty. Those kind of guys can be a real problem playing the nose tackle Certainly position, can. especially when you have the quickness that he does. Now, let's stay on the defensive line with somebody that maybe is a little more of a known commodity. He hasn't played that many more snaps than Jonah Tavai, but Joshua Oniogo, who came in out of Framingham State last year, a Division three school, you see some FCS guys, you see some Division II players. Division three guys in the NFL, though, that is still a major rarity. And for Oniogu to come in and make the initial 53, I know he was cut the day after, but that's still really impressive for a Division three guy to be able to pull it off. And he made his debut in Munich against the Buccaneers, and I thought he played pretty well in that game. He was able to produce three tackles in limited snaps, and – had a really solid game as a run defender. I was actually surprised they didn't give him more of a look later in the season when they had some guys that were struggling against the run. This is a guy that's 255, 260 pounds that will really surprise you. What shocked me at camp was the bend that this guy had. And some of the other rushers the Seahawks have, like Derek Hall, for example, Derek Hall does a lot of really awesome things as a pass rusher, but he is not a super bendy edge rusher at the top of his rush. Oniogo can do that. He can go around the corner, and it's fun to watch. So this is a player with Alton Robinson being out. From what I am hearing, Robinson could be a prime candidate to open the year on the pup list because that knee just isn't responding as quickly as they were hoping. If he's not available there, 
Oniogo is a good enough run defender. At least there's upside there, and there's some qualities in his pass rush that I think that he is a really strong candidate to find his way as one of the last guys that makes this team and maybe get more opportunities, even with the investments that the Seahawks have made with their defensive line. Now let's go over to the offensive line now. And Rob, this is a player that I know that you have a soft spot in your heart for because it's really impressive that Joey Hunt has played. And I know that some of these seasons he hasn't actually gotten in for regular seasons, but he has been in the NFL now for seven seasons. This is going to be his eighth year as a sub 300 pound center. And he has started quite a few games in the league. He has hung around. That is a testament to the work ethic and the IQ this guy brings to the table. It really is. I mean, when Joey Hunt went first came into the NFL, and you're, you're kind of looking at this guy, and you're like, you know what? I'm sorry. You're a good football player, but you're a player that might be playing in a different league here than the NFL. And as you said, Corbin, I mean, he's carved out seven seasons in the NFL. Of course, started his career in Seattle and bounced over to the Indianapolis Colts and, uh, you know, served primarily as a backup there, but still. Um, you know, got, has proven his ability to be able to stay on a roster because of the attributes that you just mentioned, his intelligence, uh, his, his physicality. I mean, this is a guy who is a little bit of a rat terrier. I mean, he is aggressive and he is tenacious and you're going to beat him sometimes. Um, you know, anybody of that size is occasionally going to be beaten by sheer power. And that's the league that we're playing in. But at the same time, he is a guy that can be that coach on the field, can be able to come in and provide you some meaningful snaps, literally and figuratively. And so that, to me, is something that puts him in the conversation. I do believe that the Seahawks are going to wind up having two centers in, in Evan Brown, the free agent, and, of course, a little Timmy, the, the rookie, that are going to be able to beat him out at a fairly considerable distance. But at the same time, I think that Joey Hunt gives this club an awful lot of safety at a critical position. Yeah, he's a really good practice squad candidate. And that's one of the nice things about the adjusted rules that came from COVID is you can have guys like this that have been in the league seven, eight years, and you can stash them on the practice squad. So if one of those guys does go down, you do have a player that is available to you that knows the scheme, has played for you. And I think the number of quality for him is toughness. The year that he started for Justin Britt, he played with a fractured fibula the last five games of the season. He played with a fractured fibula. So you can question the size and you can question the strength. You cannot question the heart with Joey Hunt. So he's a guy that I will always root for too. And I will love to see him on the practice squad. I just can't see him beating the other two guys out that they have brought in for a roster spot. And we already talked a little bit about this guy, but going to number 62, now we get more of a chance. This is really a quarterback centric episode. And Holton Ehlers, Pete Carroll talked about it, the numbers that he put up in, in North Carolina as a high school quarterback. He dominated the record books there as a passer and as a runner. He had more than 70 combined touchdowns his last year in high school. This guy was a monster throwing the ball and running the ball, and that carried over to East Carolina where he started five games as a true freshman. And you look at the numbers last year where he's improved the most. He threw more interceptions than touchdowns in his freshman season, and he was close to being a 50-50 guy in a couple other years. Last year, 28 touchdowns, just five interceptions, and a completion rate of 67%, almost 10% higher than his freshman year. That is tangible progress year after year after year. He's taken to coaching. He brings the leadership aspect 
on and off the field. He had a bunch of rushing touchdowns. Not a guy that's going to wow you with his 40 time, but he's tough. He's hard to bring down, and he's almost 230 pounds. He's a big-bodied quarterback. So there are qualities here for an undrafted guy. I actually was surprised he didn't get picked with the size and the athleticism and just the pure production. There were some guys picked that I was like, uh, Holton Aylers is a better quarterback than this guy. And the Seahawks are able to get him undrafted. So that makes him a really intriguing player. As we mentioned in the second segment, that with that third quarterback rule, Pete Carroll was really excited to get this kid because he's got the intangibles. But, oh, by the way, he's also an extremely productive player as a passer and a runner. Pete Carroll loves guys like that that check off all those boxes. And so this is maybe the most fascinating player they brought in as a young quarterback since they had Russell Wilson. Well, it's funny they mentioned Russell Wilson uh, because, you know, we know Holden Aylers um, played his college ball at East Carolina. And and there's going to be some fans out there that when they think of East Carolina, maybe they have certain judgments about the Pirates and, and who they right. think that they are. This is a three-star recruit. He turned down North Carolina State, which, is, of course, was where Russell Wilson began his career. He turned down West Virginia, which, of course, is where Geno Smith had his college career. And went to East Carolina, was a four-year starter, four-year captain there. It's going to be a jeopardy question someday if Holton Aylers winds up having the NFL career that perhaps he will. He was a guy that actually was named MVP of three different bowl games as a senior. He was the first quarterback to take East Carolina to a bowl game and win it in almost a decade. Then went to both the Hula Bowl as well as the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, two all-star games in which he was named MVP of all three, won all three. I agree with you, Corbin. I think the guy should have been drafted. I mean, he was, again, his production over his four-year career speaks for itself. He kind of like Juno Smith, had an unbelievable 2022 season, as I just mentioned again, with the three MVP awards. To me, quarterbacks like that, I get that he's left-handed, and that's a little bit different. He, he does have kind of a slow release. I, I get that, but there's enough velocity there. There's enough accuracy there. There's enough touch. I, I mentioned in yesterday's show the, the, the most underrated quarterback, in my opinion, the Seahawks and their franchise history might just be John Kitna. I, I see that there's some similarities in this guy with John Kitna, and I'm not going to say that this guy – that that we're going to see Holton Aylers wind up playing in the NFL for 14 seasons and, and, and be a future NFL coach. I don't know that. But I do definitely think that this is a quarterback who has proven track record in high school as well as college, as you kind of referenced. And again, his faith, his mind, his arm, and his athleticism, his frame, all these things translate to being a guy that actually could be able to stick in the NFL for a couple of years. Closing out this latest cluster of players here on our countdown – We're going to stick with a player that's got Pacific Northwest roots. Isaiah Dunn was a standout player at Oregon State. Never intercepted a pass there, but 18 pass breakups. Still was really solid in coverage. And he's a fascinating case study because his first year in the NFL as an undrafted rookie, he makes the Jets roster. He started a game. He played in 12 games. The first two times he was targeted, he had pass breakup. So he got off to a red-hot start, did give up a long touchdown, a 65-yarder in his only start against Miami. So there were some hiccups in there, and that led to Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed coming to town. Suddenly, there's not a spot for him. But Isaiah Dunn ends up back in Seattle off waivers, played on special teams for five games, then a hamstring injury sits him out for the rest of the season. If the Seahawks had not made some of the moves they've made in their secondary – 
to upgrade this group. I think that Isaiah Dunn has proven on the field that he can play outside corner, at least as a quality spot starter in the league. He has shown that in New York. But I don't know that he has a fighting chance to make this football team because of Devin Witherspoon coming to town and Trey Brown being healthy. That was the other difference last year. Brown missed the first half of the year coming back from his injury. That left a spot for Dunn. It it just feels like one of those unfortunate situations where a quality player is going to be playing for a spot on another team unless there's an injury in front of it. Well, possibly, or, or practice squad, but he, he's six foot, 190 pounds and ran a four, three, eight. And, and that's, that is all that matters. I mean, we talked about that a moment or in yesterday's episode. Um, you know, again, when you have those type of traits then you are going to get your opportunities. Uh, he is a physical player. He does get his hands on the football needs to pull off some of these interception opportunities that he's had. You referenced that um, his inability to do so at Oregon state, but and you, you look at the two teams in which he's had some success, obviously here in Seattle and then, um, you know, previously with the New York Jets and just the talent uh, that the Jets and the Seahawks have in their secondaries, Robert Sala and Pete Carroll as defensive minded head coaches that they have. If Isaiah Dunn was not to be successful in Seattle, it's just a numbers game and, and he falls out of, of favor in Seattle, I think that he's going to get another opportunity from a club elsewhere because he is a legitimately NFL caliber prospect as well. Yeah, it kind of is turning into where in the world is Carmen San Diego? It's where in the world is Isaiah Dunn? Because I could see him getting waived and then claimed off waivers again and going across the country somewhere else. Because there are other teams that do not have near as good situations at cornerback. I think he's a good player. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying otherwise. That's just the reality, though, with Devin Witherspoon coming to town, Trey Brown healthy, Mike Jackson, Tariq Woolen, Kobe Bryant. At some point, it's like, where do we put a guy like this? And so special teams maybe gives him a fighting chance, but that is going to be a really tricky position for any corners to be able to make with those five players that I mentioned. It is as good of a group of corners you're going to find in the NFL going into the 2023 season. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and wherever you listen to podcasts to make sure. You don't miss a single episode. Coming up tomorrow on a Thursday episode, I'll be teaming up with Dallas Cooper, and the two of us will continue the 90-player countdown and break down the defensive tackle spot in our training camp preview. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.